0: Hello, I'm Scott McGowan, CEO of McGowan Braybender, and co-host of McGowan Braybender's podcast channel, Side Effects. This crisis has led all of us to attempt to secure answers in a world with so many questions. I am so grateful to welcome a good friend, Ed Epley, from the Epley group on Side Effects today. Ed is a leading global expert in professional management, sales strategy, and performance management. He is a formal principal consultant for the table group. Patrick Lancioni company and operates the Epley Group. He has worked with executive teams at multinational companies across the United States, Europe, China, Japan, and Australia. His clients include business category leaders such as BMW, DSW, Sarah Lee, Bloomberg, Patel, Goodyear, Speedway, Steamboat Ski and Resort Company, Value City Furniture, PSA Airlines, Emerson Electric, and Safe Auto and Glass. As a facilitator for the Course for Presidents at an organization in Tip City, which is terrific, named Aileron, Ed helps lead owners of private businesses apply a system of professional management to identify and correct workplace problems. A professional career that has spanned more than 40 years, and he has recently authored a book titled, Let's Be Clear. I'm Scott McGowan.
1: I'm Kenzie Fell. And I'm Anne-Marie Singleton.
0: Now, I think even for our listeners, too, I think what's important is um, we might be right, we might be wrong, but one thing is we're not afraid.
1: Our goal is to get you to think about things a
0: little differently. And we're unscripted. We just have free reign for 20 minutes. Welcome to Side Effects with an A. Ed, thank you so much for being with us today. God, good to be here. Well, i appreciate uh I appreciate everything you do for uh not only uh you know the companies you represent but uh your friends and family so hey before we start, how are you and your family?
1: We are very well in fact we got even better today uh my wife came home with a thirty pack of toilet paper
0: oh where'd
1: she find it? She got that at Kroger's this morning here in uh, in dublin and and uh she had, she had gone yesterday and didn't find any. And she ran into one of the staff and she said, hey, when's the best time to get here for toilet paper? She says, we usually get it every night and it's in here. You know, we open at seven and it's usually gone by 10. So it's 7.15, she rolled out of the house and she texted back and said she had scored and, and she came back bearing gifts. So it's, <laughs> life is good in the Epley house.
0: Victory, victory. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody's safe and uh, yeah, cause you're, you're a recent grandfather.
1: Yeah, we are. Our son and daughter in law live in Denver and uh their uh their grandson our their son and our grandson Emmett Joseph is doing well. Um lots going on in their world. They just bought a house that they close on this coming Friday and getting getting ready to move down to Colorado Springs. So it's life's good. We're, we're a little disappointed. We can't be there with them, but you know, that's, that's part of it. But, but, but every, we're blessed. We are so blessed. God.
0: Well, well, good for you. Ed, um, hey, do you have any recollection of how long we've known each other? I went, I went back through the my computer files and I found some
1: stuff back from early 2000, um, that, you know, we were sending notes and whatnot. Um, I have to believe it was the mid nineties. I have to believe you were still in that little office, on uh, Dorothy, not Dorothy. Uh, what What's an address you're currently on now? What's the name of that street? Uh, South Dixie. South Dixie. You were further north in that that like four story, three story building that was north of there. I remember sitting upstairs in one of those offices with uh, you, Tim. I don't know if your dad was in the office. Mike was probably there. There were there were only five owners at the time. I do know that.
0: Well, you've helped us for um, gosh, several decades. Uh, I had and- hair then. Well, yeah, I, I did too. I did too. Yeah, so did Dave. So did Dave, who's driving this podcast right now. But you've, uh, you know, obviously you've got a lot of experience and, um, you know, and you sit on a lot of boards. So, you know, my gut says, and and I was listening to a podcast earlier that, you know, really kind of what we're going through is, is uh, the population and people and business leaders is kind of this like the kind of the five levels of, of grief. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, if we say denial ang- anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, what, what what do you think in your opinion, what, what, what do you think some of us are?
1: Oh, I don't think there are many that are in, you know, business owners. I don't think from the, in the business community, I don't think there are any people in denial. Um, I don't think there are many who are expecting things to be exactly like they were in December or January in July or August. I don't, I don't think there's much of that going on. So I think uh, you know, they're, they're probably at different stages of uh, bargaining, uh, depression or uh, acceptance. I, I, I think most of them are already t- to the acceptance. I think it's interesting. I think there are three more subcategories of acceptance, Scott. Um, I think there's fear, I think there's learning and I think there's growth. And I think if there's anything we can do uh, right now um, in podcasts like this and and the information that you're sharing, I know you, what'd you tell me you have 8,000 pages of stuff on your COVID uh, website uh, uh, landing page of stuff? I forget, it was a huge number you mentioned to me when we talked earlier, the information you're making available to business owners and and, uh, managers. But if we can help business owners, the executives, managers, and leaders have courage and confidence about what to do versus what not to do right now, I think uh, we can help everybody be in a much better place to manage and lead and, and help their people be successful. So we have to help people overcome the fear they have. And usually once we can get people moving from you know, um, reacting to being proactive in some way, that's a big step. And then the second thing is, what do we need to learn what do we need to know that we don't know to take advantage of the circumstances? And then we can really start to be really intentional about certain things that really disproportionately matter right now. So I, yeah, I, I, I think most business owners are all acceptance, but they, they still have a, some, some work to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, cause this is, there's no playbook for this, right? There's, I mean, this is brand new territory for, for everybody.
1: You know, I've in 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 reading some of the stuff I've been reading. The comments that were made during the global financial crisis, especially two thousand nine, two thousand late two thousand eight, two thousand nine. The the wording that is being used today sounds an awful lot like then. It's not the same situation. It's an entirely different set of circumstances. But the emotional response, I don't think, is that much different.
0: Well, which brings me to my point. So you know, I'm sitting on my on my couch Thursday night after a long week, you know, and I get this email from Ed Epley. I I checked 9.22 p.m. So I'm watching TV with my wife, and it was an email from you that said, hey, I I encourage you to read this article. And it was an article written in 2010 by the Harvard Business Review named Roaring Out of Recession. And, I, you know, so I open it up. And I looked at it and it was like nine pages long. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm exhausted. You know, I'm tired. I'm worn out. Sissy. Uh, I was, I was, it's fair. (laughs) But uh, uh, I was just, uh, I was blown away. So before we talk about the article, what, one is, how did you find it? And then what drove you, what, you know, what compelled you to send it out?
1: I, I saw this either on a, a LinkedIn post or uh, HBR, because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a subscriber, um, something they sent out. I forget where it was, but, but as soon as I started reading it, it was like, oh my gosh, this has to be mandatory reading for anybody that's an executive or an owner of a business. Cause it just, for me, it was um, a roadmap for dealing objectively with something that's so emotional um, for all of us. And, and, and so I just love the pragmatic, uh, simplistic way the authors have helped, will help people who read the article to think about their own organization and where they might spend their time and energy.
0: Yeah, I mean, I read it. And you know, to be honest with you, you know, Ed, when I was finished, um, it gave me a new sense of optimism. I mean, it, it, it told, it started to tell me number one is, Hey, what you're doing, uh, already are the right things. What you're focusing on the right things. You know, one of the kindest compliments
1: I've ever had paid to me was by your brother, Todd. Um, and he and I were talking when he still had the, the golf club business. And, um, uh, I said, why do, you, why do you enjoy talking to me? Because he, he says, I love talking with you. I said, why? And he said, because when I talk to you, I always get hope. Mm. <laughs> I said, really? I said, I, I wonder where the heck that's coming from. Well, that, I, I, I got the same thing from reading the article that you did, Todd, or Scott. I just, it, just, it just, when I read that, it was like, there, there's a roadmap out of this.
0: Yeah. So, you know, in the article it kind of unpacks like four different four different levels of yeah. uh, of. and why, why don't you give the audience maybe just a little bit of just set up what the article is about and sure. um, kind of what what led you to send this out?
1: Well, the 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 article, as you said, is called Roaring Out of Recession. Um, the premise of the three authors, uh, uh, Galati, Noria and uh, Volga Sogan are the three authors. The premise was that there's probably some some approaches that make more sense than others in dealing with the recession. So they studied 4,700 companies, Um, 1980, 82 was a recession, 91, 92 was another recession, 2000 to 2002 was another recession, and then we had the global financial crisis, 2007 through really probably 10. So they studied only publicly traded companies because there was plenty of data. You know, they had all of the, the numbers that you could get from being publicly traded, which is why they did that, I believe. Um and the and the essence of it was that um there were certain uh kinds of things, both defensive and proactive, um, that tend to be a uh, bias that business leaders tend to to use in situations like this. Some people go into a cocoon, and others try to be ultra uh, uh, aggressive in, in times like these. And so they were trying to get their their head around: well, was there one of these that probably produced a better outcome? So the that's the the genesis of the article. Now the uh, the data that they came up with in studying those forty seven hundred companies really said that there were four approaches. Uh, prevent, prevention, promotion, pragmatic, and progressive. Um, and these are actually just set up on vertical axes, you know, the horizontal and, and vertical axes. So that's the essence of it. So we can plot where almost any organization would be based upon how they behave, Scott.
0: Yeah, what's interesting is I think, you know, those are companies that were in the prevention mode and aggressively cutting uh, headcount, yeah. aggressively cutting cost the likelihood, the odds that they made it through there was 21%, the yeah, lowest the category.
1: The lowest of all the four choices. Yeah, that, that was really interesting. And also, I, and, and if you study that, and if I may, Scott, can I just talk a little bit about that? Then, oh, absolutely. That, okay. So if you're in that preventive mode, the couple of things that happens is you enter um, into a, ment, uh, a siege mentality. You know, it, it's you know, I've visited Italy, and they have the walled cities still in in parts of Italy that were part of the Italian uh, society back in the 16, 1700s. So you're basically batting down the hatches and say, you know, throw your best at us, and we're just gonna we're just gonna repel you because our walls are thick enough. But a couple of things happen that are unintended consequences to that that are not positive. One is probably lower quality because you're cutting costs everywhere. The second thing, and i never thought about this, Scott, till I reread the article and prep for today, is that normally when you do across the board cuts, that's done with, and this is my words, not the authors, but that's done with an ax. And it is, yeah. not, it is not refined. And so a lot of times, good programs, good people, um, things that can really not only be great for you long-term for the business, but could possibly be wins in the short term, go to the wayside and indiscriminately. So that, that's another one that I really hadn't thought about. Um, a lot of people feel disempowered because the decision-making gets take, taken out of the hands of the frontline managers, or even the mid-level managers by the people at the executive suite. And then um, what you see as a result of that is people kind of waiting to be told what to do. And just at the time we need to be our most nimble mm-hmm. We, we, we unintentionally slow down the organization because of that.
0: Or waiting that, for, you know, the fact, hey, uh, I'm next.
1: Yeah, that is correct.
0: Yeah. Which, which that whole uh, centralized
1: approach to running the business is really uh, demotivating to the average employee and boss. So I, I, that, it, it kind of makes sense when you do the analysis on the back end of why they're the least successful coming out of the recession of all the, the, the four modes.
0: So when you think of the organization that were, you know, basically like promotion focused, yes, uh, versus preventative focused, what what are some of the attributes in regards to the promotion focused uh, industries?
1: Well, uh, the good news is, you know, they're playing to win. Um, so uh, I don't know if this is an accurate analogy, but sometimes I think of it of the person at the craps table in Vegas who's who's. Uh, Ultimately, optimistic to the point that they lose all their money. Right? They they just I'm the next I'm going to win the next hand. I'm gonna I'm gonna get the next roll of dice are going to be in my favor, and I'm going to get it all back. So there's there's a bit of a Pollyannaish kind of you know denying reality that can sometimes go along with that. Um, the the article actually makes reference to Hewlett Packard and what they tried to do in that time period uh, back during the I think the late. Uh, the the Y two K and the the post uh, two thousand recession and and it they they were successful in grow, growing their sales but they were unsuccessful in being able to outperform their competitors because they I, I think they denied reality about what was going on around them I think a couple of other things is um, you know your, your customers are not necessarily playing by your promotion oriented Approach. So you're saying we're all in, and we're adding products and services, and we're we're expanding into new markets and what have you. At the same time, a lot of our customers or prospective customers might be saying, and if they're in a preventative mode, if they're in a if, if they're in a defensive mode, we can't even get in to see them to sell them anything. Right. So that that's that sometimes if you're in that uh, promotion oriented, uh, full speed ahead kind of mentality you're ignoring the reality of your clients.
0: Well, and, and it, I think, you know, it could I, come I you across be as being, unfortunately, it could come across as being arrogant. Or tone or, deaf. Yeah, just tone deaf. Yeah. Excellent, excellent point. And the likelihood of that group actually pulling out of that was like 26%. So they were, they were in second. The third place, uh, which was 29% uh, success rate, was the uh, pragmatic focus. Yeah. So help us understand what that is.
1: So they're doing uh, a little bit of cost cutting and they're doing a little bit of promotion. So they're doing some balance. Um, you know, you could argue that they're trying to straddle the fence um, and probably doing it obviously more successfully than people who choose one side only that, or, or the other. So you, you can say there's some benefits there. Um, uh, I, I, I think though that... Um, the organizations that just do a little bit of both, what they don't necessarily get the advantage of is the leverage that comes from being intentional in the right kinds of promotional things. I think if you pick the right, right now, if I was if if I owned a business that was other than my own, you know, uh, just me, which is the Epley Group is essentially just me and a few other craze, disturb individuals that I have in my network. <laughs> um, they're, they're, but I really, it's not a, a business like yours, Scott. So right now, if brave Bender, and I'm sure you're doing this, there's some opportunities if you do certain things right now, selectively, um, with some of the improvements in your business that you're also making in efficiencies right now, you're funding it with, with the, these promotional things with efficiencies that you're finding in other parts of the business, then what happens is you're getting an, a running start at using those improvements in the business so that when the, if, let's call it the recession, when this recession ends, you will get the benefits of it faster than your competitors.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: So that's hence the name of the article. At least you're starting to run faster than your competitors because you're doing more of the right things right now than they are. And I think a part of this is, are we paying any attention to what's going on outside of our, our walls or not? And I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't, but I think a business owner has to say, are we at all gonna look at the landscape competitively and use that as part <laughs> of the feedback or the inputs that we should use to make our decisions? Or are we gonna say, we're self-contained? We're, we're gonna, we're the, we're, screw everybody else, we're just gonna focus on ourselves right now.
0: You know, it's interesting that you bring that up because you know, we're on a phone with uh, even some of our customers, including hospitals. Yes. So the governor shuts down the state of Ohio and says all elective surgeries uh, are to be canceled. So, you know, you're thinking, okay, here's a decision to protect Ohio, which by the way, I think Dewine and Houston and the whole, I mean, I think they're doing a fabulous job. I mean, I mean, when you look at where Michigan is versus where Ohio is right now, I'm glad I'm an Ohioan and I'm glad we, we protect the workforce and protect our families. But when you think of the unattended quant of kind of consequences of a decision, we've heard here recently that both Kettering health network and premier have actually had to furlough large portions of their workforce because yep. there's elective surgery. So that, you know, orthopedic surgeons are no longer there. So when, if you become myopic and you just think about your industry, you know, you're not aware of what's happening to other industries. I think that's what you're saying is you can become isolated. Yeah. yeah. And, and potentially make some bad decisions.
1: Yeah. I uh, you, you mentioned that. I haven't confirmed this, but a friend of mine runs a, a foot and ankle orthopedic practice here in the um, uh, central Ohio area. And I, I've noticed that they have ads on the TV right now. And I'm thinking, I think that's pretty smart because one, I'll bet they got a great rate <laughs> for the advertising and number two they're they're promoting their brand at a time when nobody else probably is at least I haven't seen anybody else yeah. i I think it was i think it's really a wise decision i'm gonna i'm gonna actually talk to my my friend that runs a practice here in the next day or two and just confirm that uh, and he's a he's a great business person so i'm I'm pretty sure I know the answer
0: well the 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 one section that gave me the greatest optimism was the last one, which was the progressive group. Yeah. So the yeah. constructive balance of an offense and a good defense.
1: Yeah. The, uh, the, the, the two axes that I talked about being preventative versus being promotive is, is rooted in psychology that some people operate in a, in a way that's to avoid a negative outcome or consequence and others are pursuing a positive result. And so uh, those are the two axes. And and it's when you are midway in the range of avoiding a negative consequence and you are all the way to the uh, um, high end of trying to achieve a positive outcome, that, that's kind of the best world. So it's a, essentially the a, probably a 60 or 70% promotion versus preventative kind of a ratio. But- the the majority of the efficiencies that you're going to get uh, from being preventative are being used to fund your promotional work. So I'll say that again. What we're doing is the preventative steps that we take, the defensive moves that we make, we're really going to just take those dollars and reinvest them back into selective promotional kinds of activities that will make the business stronger on on the backside. And, and as we get through the, the next 60, 90, 180 days.
0: And the, the most amazing thing, probably the one that gave me the, the greatest hope was the analogy of, you know, Target, you know, expanding, yes. um, you know, closing underperforming stores, yes. expanding the marketplace. Opening then, new stores. Yeah. Yeah. And then going after Walmart, right. And saying, hey, let's just change this tagline, expect more, pay less yeah uh, and their marketing um behind that if i go way back in time was um was genius staples was kind of a similar kind of a
1: thing I, and and so staples was another one that just um i really think hit the sweet spot in in figuring out how to distance themselves from uh, was it office depot or whoever the, their competitor was then
0: yeah, I would probably even, you know, encourage some of our, you know, listeners is, you know, reach out to some of your, uh, you know, vendors, reach out to your customers by industry sector. How are you guys doing? Help us. What decisions are you making? Uh, what do you see as most useful in your industry sector uh, to try to give you a better balance? I mean, add, you know, you sent that to me on Thursday. I think I have probably sent it to, you know, a couple hundred people because it, it was really, uh, uh, it was very insightful. Uh, it gave me a ton of confidence. And I know as leaders, too, in, the, in, in, this, in this part of this world and the decision making, a lot of times, um, uh, you know, w- we don't have people calling us up saying, hey, great decision. Well done. Right. We make the decision. And the, to be affirmed or be acknowledged uh, is, uh, is important. And reading something like this based out of the recession, which was horrific uh, and very likely this will be, too. Uh, is uh, is tremendous. Well, um,
1: again, the 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 there's two components to this. One, it's a roadmap, uh, and two, it. Uh, what I like about it is because it's based on some pretty compelling data. Um, it it allows us to have more confidence about our decision making at a time when we feel like when we scare, when we're scared to act. And this, I think, can give us more confidence to be able to act. I, you know, I think there's always this fine line to walk between being too impulsive or, or making decisions too quickly, versus waiting too long to make decisions. And by and large, uh, in normal times, I'm I'm inclined to say, when in doubt, act. I'm not so sure right now that um, that's always the best uh, default. I, I think. Uh, there 's this old saying i f- I forget the author of it, but who said that the the best form of patience is perseverance mm-hmm. you, you know the, the it's so it 's not just a matter of waiting but you're you 're putting more energy and effort into something you know that will work for you so part of this is is having belief really strong belief that you 've chosen the right path and then being willing to fight and wrestle with it and 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 make it happen you 'll make it a reality, which is easier said than done but i I do think this is not like the global financial crisis where we just had a general economic slowdown around the world. This is a self-induced uh, turning off of the economy, and we have clear, uh, clear winners and losers in the marketplace right now that we didn't have back in 2008 and 9. There weren't a lot of you. You couldn't look to a Kroger in in 2008 or 9 and expect their earnings to be higher. Like they're 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 going to skyrocket right, right now because they are so crucial to the supply chain of human beings, not just businesses. And, and we didn't have that. So I don't, I haven't got clear in my own mind, Scott, about, well, how will that change things in terms of recovery that we have these businesses that are clear winners and losers, Amazon clear winner. Yep. Premier health right now, clear loser. Right. Right. Um, so, so we gotta, we gotta work through in our own business uh, environments, what the impact of that and how much those winners or losers are part of our business, that's gonna be, be a big factor about how quickly our business either rebounds or doesn't.
0: Yeah, I even think it's, you know, it's interesting, some of, the, some of the restaurants that have never done carryout or ignored shunned DoorDash and Uber Eats, just shunned them that um, you know, the winners in that today are like, all right, the economy's changed. This landscape has changed. Uh, and we're just going to have to adapt and figure this out. Um, We both know the restaurant Jeff
1: Ruby's. Mm -hmm. We got one recently in Columbus. They have the three of them, what, I think three down in Cincinnati and one in Indianapolis. Do you think they're going to have any trouble recovering?
0: You know – it's a good question, I think probably psychologically, when I think of how um, people are going to adapt to sitting close to each other, how I think people are going to adapt to moving inside of a crowd, I think as people kind of evolve and adapt to that. But with all that being said, I think when you had a great brand before and it was just it was impeccable, it's an impeccable brand. So if your brand didn't, didn't differentiate itself, I think it's going to be hard.
1: I, but I, I, my point is, you and I are both going, if, if we had a chance to go to Jeff Ruby's in six months, you and I are both going to go there.
0: Right, right.
1: It might, we might not be sitting as close to each other as we would have mm-hmm. before. We're going to go back. Yeah. Now, let's go to Denny's. No, I don't, I'm, not, I, yeah. I'm, I'm a little bit worried about a Denny's to survive and make it through this unscathed. Because that's my point. I think certain products and services, like you just pointed out, that know their customers and are 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 you know intent upon serving those kinds of customers and and are different in a significant way in meaningful ways for their customers, my guess is they're gonna come out of this pretty fine if they've done the right things to strike the right balance in what they do over the next two, three, four months. I think if people are unsure who the customer is in their markets, you know, this is, this is gonna, this is gonna put a, a no matter what the government does to support you, gonna help you get through this. I think this will weed out a lot of marginal performing organizations. I think that's gonna happen. So if, if you've got a strong balance sheet right now, I think one of the things I would do, be striving to do is operational efficiencies and I wanna be prepared to do acquisitions. I wanna go find an organization that's got great people, great products or services that doesn't, you know, doesn't have the balance sheet to survive what's going on and say, look, let me make you an offer you can't refuse and everybody wins. So I, I just think there's gonna to be tons of that stuff happening over the next three, four five months. Because the other thing is, banks have capital to lend. I mean, the banks are in good shape prior to this. And so the banks, banks. The, uh, so if you need to get a deal done, I think you can get one done, Scott. I, I, I'm getting excited talking about it.
0: <laughs> so, I know. I tell you what's amazing too, is even in this time, you know, in this week or next week, at least in Ohio, right? Um, as leaders, uh, you've got such an ability to, uh, to think sometimes in our business, we get so wrapped up doing the work. Yeah. Uh, and we've got an ability to really kind of sit back, put the phones down, put the computer, just think about, Hey, if we were going to rebirth ourselves out of this, what would would we look like? Exactly. Wonderful. Wonderful exercise
1: to do right now alone. And then with your your key team around you, you know, and virtually, because I, I I would really highly suggest that's a good thing to do. Actually, it's another good time to restructure your business hypothetically. Take away the names, build your org structure right now. For if we were to rebuild this business right now, based on what we think it's going to look like in two three months, what would the structure look like? Forgetting who the people are we have right now, and then compare that with what you got today. Probably significant differences for some organizations.
0: You know, one of the things you taught us too, which was invaluable was the fact that structure follows strategy. Yeah. So as business owners, sometimes you get, you become maybe so protective of ideas and thoughts that it, it actually, it's not pr- protective. It's actually arrogant. Yeah. Um, but with structure and governance, what you, what you get is you get flexibility, mm-hmm. you get ideas, and the most important thing is you get speed.
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the ability to be nimble and uh, uh, and uh, I, the, you, here's an opportunity to stop doing certain things that you've been wanting to stop doing for the business. Here, here's a chance to try an operational efficiency. Rather than try to improve it, just stop doing it. If it's really not that critical to the business, cut it out. And you're seeing a lot of that right now just because of virtual meetings. There's certain things that are going by the wayside the business isn't doing. And I'll guarantee you the business isn't missing it for the most part. Yeah, I wanted to add one thing about the, the back to our uh, four styles of uh, uh, strategy for uh, the article. Um, one of the things that occurred to me, one of the reasons why leaders tend to choose either being all in with defensive approach or being all in with a uh, offensive and you know, playing to win approach is it's more simple to communicate and, and to, to lead. In other words, if you're going to say, we're, we're batting down the hatches, we're hunkering down, we're just going to cut costs right now, that's a simple message to deliver. It's a lot simpler than saying, well, we're going to cut here or we're going to improve efficiency here and we're going to spend money over here because in that case, you have winners and losers in your business. You have certain people that are feeling like, okay, I'm, you know, you're either part of the showerhead or you're part of the drain. (laughs) So at that point, you're feeling like, oh, I picked the wrong side of the business to be involved with right now. So to me, it's a lot simpler leadership to do one thing than to do two. But as the article reflects and shares, well, the, the optimal, thing to do here is some of both in slightly more promotion than preventative. So, I want—I just want to make that one more addition to because that's something that occurred to me as I was uh, rereading the article.
0: Well, and I think too, Eddie, bring up a great point is you should not let your workforce, don't leave them alone in their thoughts, mm-hmm. right? So, you but can-
1: but what's our, what's our uh, it's like a bad neighborhood?
0: Yeah, sometimes your brain's like a bad neighborhood and you shouldn't be there alone. You've got a lot of people right now, a large portion of the workforce, they are alone in their thoughts. And so when we over communicate, and you're exactly right, Ed, if, if I heard, hey, I'm cutting back here, I'm cutting back here, but hey, uh, I just watched TV and I just saw two television ads. What's that all about? So there's a way to communicate that to your workforce, to your customers. Right. Yes. There's, a to, there's a way to talk about this. Um, let me ask you one question. I'm going to
1: switch roles with you right now. You know you need to make a reduction in force. Do you do, do you do you do um, everybody takes a pay cut to minimize the amount of people that you have to lay off um, or do you just cut the people that you need to cut and do the reduction in force and peop- people stay whole. People still make what they made before.
0: Great question. I mean, we've we've, uh, we've made the decision as of today that there will be no layoffs. Uh, but if we were posed with that, I, I think our culture and I think the position of the organization based on our historical um, kind of passion for each other, I think the workforce would probably stand up and say, if we can keep everybody, I'll accept less. Okay. I believe that.
1: I, I, uh, I've heard from a couple of different organizations wrestle with the same thing. And I had, I had somebody bring up something I had never thought of before. Cause I was, I'd be inclined to to go the way you're suggesting, but I had a, a one executive say, yeah, we, we, in previous times when we've done that, we've actually had people get frustrated because they feel bad about taking a 20% pay cut. Um, and there's a person that's a really marginal performer next to them that, is being allowed to stay in the organization <laughs> and so i'm 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 but my pay cut is is allowing this person to stay part of the organization that was that was one of those that is like woo that's a tough one
0: oh yeah well and i think ed too it's i mean you know it's uh, i can remember when i was in it with aileron in a couple of sessions uh and and you know i was kind of like um as a guest facilitator right we were going through this this whole transition of um you know uh the workforce who's sitting in a seat are they capable today right. are they capable tomorrow right and then we were talking about destructive heroes we came back from lunch and a ceo said hey by the way guys i just fired four people <laughs> like wait a minute Wait a minute. And I think, um, you know, sometimes uh, you need, uh, and and this is not a global statement, but you do need um, a crisis to quite frankly, maybe even address some of the issues that you were afraid to address before. Well, one of the things that, one of the things
1: that uh, I think my clients pay me to do is to help them have courage to take action. They know they should. Uh, in some cases, I don't help them have courage at all. I just give them permission to do what they've already been saying they should do. And I just say, why are you, what are you waiting on? So like, like Dave
0: signaling, what are we waiting on to end this podcast? Yeah. So. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, when you think of uh, one is, I mean, you know what you say, you know, by the way, uh, a great coach and a great business advisor and a great board member um, should never tell you what you want to hear. Right. Right. And I think even your question back to me in regards to layoffs or tougher decisions, a great coach is going to ask you those questions is going to put you in that spot uh, because some organizations in some industries, you're going to be facing those, those decisions. And, and you know, and, and obviously there's a lot of people that are thinking about that before, but, yeah. you know, you've got a board of advisors, you've got people in the community you can reach out and talk to, you have industry experts. Uh, you, you just have a lot of people that are willing to help you. So don't stay alone in your thoughts, reach out, get good advice. Um, I've personally, as we begin to wrap up, um, I I I, uh, I get a lot out of journaling. So I'll write down my thoughts in journal, you know, kind of a T-chart. Hey, what's the... What's the what's the pluses of making this decision? What's the negatives of making this decision? Because if you're ever going to get a speeding ticket, make a fast decision, uh, and you <laughs> you're very likely going to get one.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably right.
0: <laughs> so, hey, Ed, you know, you wrote a book. Uh, if uh, where, where can uh, where can folks uh, where can folks uh, get your book?
1: let's be clear it's available um via uh, amazon so people can go go directly there or if they go to my website the there's a, a, a landing page and a link for that and uh it's uh it's a quick read
0: <laughs> well i've never been accused of uh of being uh, of the word brevity does that make sense <laughs> so uh i should probably you know i've looked at the first chapter i'm not sure uh, i i probably need uh, i probably need to read that so thanks for uh I would welcome your I
1: would welcome your thoughts after after reading it. It's actually built around Aileron's model of the six disciplines of professional management. And so all I do, I, I use that as the skeleton to hang the stories that I have about leadership, about strategy, about structure, people development, and so forth. Because af- after 40 years of being in business, you 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 have certain things you know to be true, certain things you know not to be true. Um, doesn't mean they always work. And in fact, one of the one of the caveats I would I would offer up to anybody who reads the HBR article we've been, been referencing is that you can, you can be very successful doing something that this article doesn't talk about or does or says do differently. So there are always going to be exceptions. So uh, right now though, it's, it's important that you make a choice, whatever that is. You, you, you I think, I think if the danger that you have right now, you got to really be careful of whipsawing the organization today yeah. saying we're going left and tomorrow saying we're going right. That's going to be, that's going to just be really damaging to the organization.
0: Well, as we wrap up, can't thank you for um, one is everything you've done in the past for uh, leaders like myself and other businesses, boards you represent all the participants at, uh, at aileron. Uh, your advice has been, uh, you know, invaluable. And for some people, uh, they didn't like the advice, uh, <laughs> but they heard it and you weren't afraid to give it. Uh, and that is the sign of a great leader and a great uh, A great coach. There will be great balance between optimism and reality, and we've watched a lot of leaders step up and make amazing decisions. Uh, And we have seen uh, what's even more amazing to us is the trust and respect of our workforces who are just adjusting to this brand new world.
1: Well, I I think you, uh, Scott, you've always been a um, sponge for learning, and uh, and uh, there was a point where you, you know your your audience knows about your journey in leadership and development. Um, but when you really got serious about it and, and the, the changes you've made in your own style and approach to managing and leading others, and um, you, I think you've gone from, uh, as Pat Lencioni's new book called The Motive talks about the two different reasons why people become managers. The first is to be a reward-based, and the second is responsibility-based. If I think about you, the, the old Scott McGowan was a reward-based Uh, leader. You got into it for the reasons that it was a reward for a a life of of working hard. And it was a a chance to get the the benefits of that. And then all of a sudden you become fixated on the responsibility piece that it's a, it's a job that is demanding and and it goes way beyond eight to five if you do it right. And so you, you end up also doing stuff you don't want to do if you do a great job as a leader. And so my hat's off to you because I don't know of anybody who's, uh, reshape themselves in a more positive or more meaningful way than you have. And it's just, it's been a, it's been a blessing to be around you and watch that journey.
0: Well, I appreciate that. I tell a lot of leaders, you know, you should know yourself better than anybody in the room Uh, because (laughs) if you don't others do, (laughs) whether you believe it or not. Hey, to our listeners, please know whether you're a McGowan Brabender customer or not, you're welcome to visit McGowan Brabender's COVID-19 resource center at goodsmartpeople.com. Or if you have any questions or comments, you can email me at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. At McGowan Braybender, we were built to uh, respond. We are built to care. Please stay safe. Stay well. Ed, thank you for your time today. Appreciate it. Love you, Scott. Thank you. You too. Have a great day. Yeah. See you.